podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, people. And I'm here. New surroundings, new environments. Lots of you looking in the background going, where is this guy? Cannot say, cannot say. But here I am, people, recording another edition episode of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. My name is Marshall St. Patrick Hewitt, one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And this particular episode, we're going to call this one the five key learning points from the West Indies tour to Australia. At the time of recording, the Test Series is now over. West Indies have predictably lost 2-0. I think any sane, rational cricket fan, never mind West Indian fan, would have expected that to be be the, the end result. We could break down the nature of the defeats in terms of the first test to the second test. The first test we lost by 160-odd runs. Uh, first test where we lost by 160 odd runs. The second test, obviously, we got humiliated and lost by, I think, 419 runs. And of course, as tends to happen um, in any West Indian defeat, the, the 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 kind of ramifications and the cuss outs and the 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 doom the doom predictions about West Indies cricket and the naysayers, they've all been quick to to come out of the woodwork and say, is this the end of West Indies cricket? Should West Indies even be playing test cricket? All of that stuff. But I'm going to address all of that. I'm going to address all of that stuff. But first, just a quick, quick bit of admin. I always forget to get to the admin first. If you'd like to follow the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, of course, you can do that on Twitter and or Instagram at Carib Cricket. You can also head to our website where everything is there, basically, www.caribbeancricketpodcast.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can, of course, like, share and do subscribe to this video. We're now on 3,805 subscribers. So do subscribe as we're on our road to 4K YouTube subscribers. Let's try and get there, people. So if you are watching this video, smash that like and subscribe button, help the algorithms. And of course, if you'd like to support what we do at the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, you can become a patron. Uh, There are 40 patrons of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast at the moment, most who give um, two pounds, two dollars, two yen, two, two, what are the currencies? Two euros, whatever your currency might be, to just help us on our journey uh, and help us produce the content that we do produce. We aren't sponsored, remember, this isn't a sponsored podcast. So anything the supporters, followers, fans give us, that's that's all we've really got. And all we do is put that straight back into everything we do, the merch, et cetera, et cetera. So I think some people, sometimes people think that, like we make money out of this. No, we, we really don't, people. So any any support you can give um, would be handy. But anyways, let's get into it. As I said, I called this the five key learning points that we can take away from the West Indies 2-0 series defeat to Australia. Let's get straight into it. Let's chop it up. Learning point number one. Let's call this one the rise of Tej Narayan Shandapur. And it shouldn't really, really and truly, it shouldn't even be called the rise of Tejnarayan Shand- Shandapur. 
I've said it before in previous videos or previous audio um, uh, content we've done on our like Spotify, Apple, whatever it might be. Tejeran Shandapur should have got a call up to the West Indies test team a long time ago. He was ready two years ago when us at the Caribbean Cricket Podcast were calling for him. Whatever. It's taken till now. It took John Campbell's drug ban for Tej to even get his chance. The reality of the situation is if John hadn't been hadn't had this drug ban, or obviously he's going to appeal it, but if John hadn't had this drug ban, chances are Tej wouldn't even have played in this test series. So it's taken a fortunate set of circumstances for Tej to finally get his chance, but boy, has he taken it. Boy, has he taken it. He leaves this uh, test series with two 50s. So he leaves with two test 50s. Remember, this is his debut uh, test series. He leaves with an average of 40. And the reason why we've really got to... Um, give him his flowers and talk about how great of a test series this was for Tej is he's toured in possibly the most difficult place to tour. Remember that Tej Narayan Shandapal has gone to Australia where they have a pace attack where everyone has over 200 wickets. Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins and Nathan Lyon has 440 odd test wickets. He couldn't have been given a harder baptism of fire. And I don't want to say he's passed it with flying colours, but what I would say is that West Indies have discovered a another um, durable test opener who is willing to put a price on his wicket. And if there's only one thing that we take out of this test tour, it's a great thing we've taken out in that we have found a test uh, opening partnership where probably for the first time since who? Maybe Craig and... Craig and Chris Gale, maybe, but even then, that wasn't really a partnership to speak of. Probably this is the first time in, what, 12 years we've found a test partnership, opening partnership, where we feel that, well, if they get out, you're going to have to have got them out as opposed to them just giving it away, if that makes any sense. So Tej, Tej leaves with his reputation enhanced, which is great for him. Fantastic. I hope this is the start of a very long test career for Tej Narayan Shandapal. What I would say as well, though, with Tej, and it, it, again, it's it's something which kind of speaks to the, the, the developmental issues that we have in the West Indies. Tej has only just reached the international stage at the age of 26, 27. And it's important to just kind of highlight to those of you who are listening to this who Maybe West Indies is your second team, but you don't you aren't fully invested in the West Indies domestic game. And sometimes you may ask questions like, but why are West Indies in the shape they are? If Tejan Ryan Shandapal comes up through any other major Test Nations system, he debuts long before this. It it tends to be, and you can look at Carl Mayers, who kind of debuted at 28-27, Akil Hussain, who kind of debuted at 28-27, as some examples, Nkrumah Bonner, who effectively, yes, I know he played earlier in his career, like 1-T-20, but effectively has debuted at 32. Jermaine, not Jermaine Blackwood. In fact, yeah, you could use Jermaine Blackwood, who's properly come into his own at 30-31. It takes West Indian players a lot longer to mature and find their game. That's the reality of our system. The system is almost a hindrance to their development. So when you look at the West Indian side, and I'll talk about it in some of the later points uh, in the episode, but when you look at the West Indian side, it speaks to the flaws in our domestic system that players only really reach our test side much later than they should have done. 
the developmental structures don't fast track their development, so to speak. And uh, Santoki and I speak about it quite often. Many of our players come into the international scene still trying to work at flaws in their games, which should have been sorted out long before they touch international cricket. So it's just worth reminding people that, yes, Tej looks promising, and yes, he's enhanced his... Um, He's, he's, he's enhanced his status, but we must remember he's 27 years old or 26 going on 27. So this debut is quite late for him. Before I move on to the second key learning point, I this wasn't in my top five. I feel like I should just point this out as well. In the first test, West Indies made two scores over 250. And more important, I think it's a 283 and 333. And the reason why I talk about that and more specifically the 333 in the second innings, it's just worth reminding people that that 333 we made in Perth was only was our fourth highest total that we have made in Australia in our last four um, tours of Australia. So people who want to kind of look at this test series and be like, oh, it was a flop. It was a rucks. West Indies are useless. Why are they playing test cricket? Actually, when you properly look at the context of our previous tours of Australia, we leave this tour having made our fourth highest total in our last 22 innings in Australia. Now, again, that might sound like a feeble takeaway from, from a test series, but you have to, when there is such a quality disparity between the two sides, so Australia are the number one side in the world and we are, what, sixth or seventh or something like that, right? When there is such a quality disparity between the two sides, and I hasten to add also a kind of um, material disparity and uh, finance disparity and facilities disparity, we have to look at these little takeaways and say, well, actually, that's a positive. Because this side only had four players who have ever toured Australia before, and yet still we come away from this tour with our fourth highest score in Australia in our last 17 years of going to Australia. So I do think we have to kind of look at those green shoots and say, well, actually there were some positives to take out of this. Obviously we took that first test to a fifth day as well, but that kind of is what it is, right? The second test obviously was a huge shambles. The second takeaway um, from that I take from this uh, test series defeat in Australia, having just spoken about the three, 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 but here's the second takeaway for those kind of like, doom merchants and naysayers and the ones who almost relish when West Indies lose because it gives them a chance to do clickbait, hot takes, run onto radio stations, type hot take tweets, write articles for ESPN or Crickbuzz or whatever it might be and kind of be like, oh, is this the end of West Indies cricket? Do me a favour and shut up, innit? Just, just shut up. Because my whole thing with West Indies is always look at context. Before you come with the doom, the doom saying and the naysaying, always look at the context. And the reality of this tour is that nothing really changed. This wasn't a horror tour. In the context of West Indies visits to Australia in the last 17 years, nothing really changed. Okay. And let me explain why. In the last 19 innings, we have bowled at Australia, including this test series. We have only bowled them out five times. In the last 22 innings we have batted in Australia, we've made less than 250 10 times. 
This is going back through the last four tours of Australia, people, the last 17 years that have involved us going to Australia. The last time we went to Australia was six years ago. For this particular tour, only four players had ever gone to Australia. We also had to bowl with the Kookaburra ball. The point I'm trying to make, people, is the game's rigged. The game is rigged as far as I'm concerned. Not rigged in terms of Australia versus West Indies is rigged, but rigged in so much as what when you think about those stats and those facts I've just given you and that evidence, what what could you really expect to go differently? When you think about it, what could possibly have gone differently? We took a squad to Australia where only four people have experience of Australian conditions. We had to bowl with the ball that we don't even use in our home conditions, the Kookaburra ball. We had a bowling attack where only Jason Holder and Kimar Roach had ever toured Australia before. And bear in mind that stat I told you that we've only bowled Australia out five times in the last 19 times we've bowled at them. We took Alzari Joseph, who, yes, is quote-unquote experienced, but he's young, never been to Australia. We took Jaden Seals. Yes, he's our star boy, never been to Australia. Uh, Roston Chase was rubbish with the ball, but never been to Australia. Carl Mayers, never been to Australia in terms of a test tour. So I don't really understand when people are like cussing down the team and saying, oh, it's the nature of the defeats. I hear all that, but it's nothing out of the ordinary. We've been there. We've done that in terms of getting licked down. So nothing really changed in the grand scheme of things. And when I say the game is rigged, I guess what I mean by that is what team could turn up in Australia? And I'm even going to say India. I'm even going to say India here. Yes, I know India have licked down Australia the last two times they've gone, but I don't even think India could do this, right? What team could go to Australia after a six-year break and beat them? Answer me that, people. Put in the, if you're watching this on YouTube, put in the comments below. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Podbean, Apple, whatever your podcast feed of choice is, send me a, send us a message at Carry Cricket. What international side could go to Australia after a six-year gap of going there and beat them? I'll wait. Don't worry, I'll wait. So for me, the second kind of key takeaway is Nothing really changes in the grand scheme of things. The game's rigged, and the next time we go to Australia, which is at the start of 2024, it'll be more of the same. Point number three. This one's a special one. Another key learning from the Australia tour is that Australian TV pundits are a waste of space. Now, I'm sh why should they care what I have to say about it? But I'm just going to throw this in there from a Caribbean perspective. Australian TV pundits are a waste of space. All it is to me, I, I, I had to sit through, what, eight, eight and a half days of TV commentary, right? The feed that we got in England through BT Sport. And I would argue that for every single day of the test matches, it was inane lazy, arrogant, um, ill-prepared, half-baked nonsense that they were speaking whenever it came to the West Indies. No research. No research. So 
and this, this in fairness i shouldn't just say this for tv pundits because it also goes for some some of the people who someone like people with big followings and no i'm not talking about our friends at great cricketer some people with big followings on twitter tweeting these kind of like hot takes about west indies cricket but you you lot don't do no research you don't know you don't do no research oh should West Indies really tour Australia? What's the point of the West Indies test side? You lot, don't you? I ought to dash my cup of tea at this lot. It really speaks to the... It. Do you know what? Do you know what it speaks to? It speaks to where the game of cricket is at. It speaks to why we have essentially a, uh, a two-class system, maybe even a three-class system in, in the game of cricket. It is my long-held belief that Australia, India, and England, if they could, I think they'd just play amongst themselves, really and truly. And I think the 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 Australian media are probably the greatest exponents of this of this kind of just arrogance that that they should they should say who who is ready for Test cricket, like. So this is why those kind of statements about are oh, the world needs a, a strong West Indies. Okay, cool. Maybe they do, but what are you lot? No one does anything about it. So on one hand, you'll have people turn around and say, ah, oh, the, the West Indies team shouldn't be playing test cricket. Then on another hand, you'll have people say the world needs a strong West Indies. And what's the common denominator between all of this? No one's doing anything about it. We are going to get a we, we are going to get to a point in cricket in the world game where West Indies probably do become a huge irrelevance, right? And you know who's to blame? It's not just ourselves in terms of the key stakeholders within the game in the Caribbean, but it'll be the world game as well. Because they watched, they would have stood by and watched as our game declined, did nothing to understand why it's declining, provided no real infrastructure support to change the structures of the game to help the weaker sides like ourselves get better. And then all the while it's happening, they'll say, what's gone wrong with the West Indies? Maybe we shouldn't let them play, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, we can all see where this is going. We'll all make arrogant statements about it, but do nothing to change the current paradigm or to shift the paradigm to make this game of cricket more equitable. Does that mean that West Indies should never tour Australia? No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that because um, I don't agree with that. But what I would say is that people who make those type of comments, if you're going to make those comments, at least try and put them in the context of where the world game's at. Because if you're not going to put those comments in the context of where the world, well, of where the world game is at and why the West Indies find themselves in the kind of conditions we find ourselves in within the world game, what is the point of your statement other than to show your ignorance and your arrogance? These people will slowly kill the game of cricket and will will continue to narrow, 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 narrow the game of cricket. And then when, when it finally gets to a point where the fans lose interest because we've narrowed the game of cricket so much, people turn around and say, but how did we get here? I'll tell you how we got here. We got here with people being allowed to openly say unchallenged, yeah, West Indies shouldn't tour Australia. That's how we got there. Point four, as much as we just got laying down in Australia and lost 2-0, here's, here's, here's my argument. Overall, 
for 2022, this has been a positive test year for the West Indies. If you step away from the 419-run defeat to Australia in the second test for just one moment and put yourself back at the start of 2022, if you had said to any West Indian fan at the start of 2022, of the six, sorry, of the seven test matches you're going to play in 2022 and the three series you're going to play, I'll give you a 1-0 series win at home against England, a 2-0 series home, sorry, a 2-0 series win at home against Bangladesh and a 2-0 series defeat in Australia. Every single West Indian fan would have taken that. Every single one. So in the context of 2022, I think one of my key takeaways from this particular tour is that, yeah, okay, fine. It, it highlights the massive gap between Australia and the West Indies. I hear that, particularly in Australian conditions. But actually, in the wider scheme of things, you could argue that West Indies have made some steps of progress this year. We beat, uh, we beat the higher-ranked England. We beat Bangladesh like we probably should do in our own conditions. And we lost to Australia like we always do. And I hasten to add as well, just to put that kind of defeat to Australia in context. England's last two trips to Australia, they've lost 4-0 and 4-0. So does that mean England shouldn't tour Australia anymore? Pakistan's last two trips to Australia, they've lost 2-0 and 3-0. Does that mean Pakistan shouldn't tour Australia anymore? New-Zealand's last trip to Australia, they lost 3-0. Sri Lanka's last trip to Australia, they lost 2-0. So I guess when I say this has been a positive year overall, you can't judge our test cricket progress in 2022 by a 2-0 series defeat to Australia. That would have been expected. Yes, the nature of the defeat in the second test was bad, but generally the 2-0 series defeat would have been expected. So overall, given we beat England and given we beat Bangladesh at home, it's a positive year for West Indies cricket, in test cricket, I should say. And my final takeaway from this uh, test series defeat to Australia is actually what it, the I guess, what it kind of tells us about what we do going forward. Now, Santoki tweeted about this on our handle at Carry Cricket, and I think it is worth mentioning in a podcast form. A lot of our, let's take the, the team that started in Perth. Craig Brathwaite, 30. Tayshan Nepal, 27. Nkrumah Bonner, 33. Carl Mayers, 30. Jermaine Blackwood, 31. Jason Holder, 31. Who am I missing? Josh is young. Alzari's still young. Jaden's young. Kimar Roach, 34. Right. Let's just look at the uh, Ross and Chase, Ross and Chase 30. When you look at the batting aspect of that side, you have a lot of players who are already on the quote unquote wrong side of 30. That doesn't mean they haven't got years of cricket left. I'm not trying to say that. That doesn't mean that because Jermaine Blackwood's 31, he can't service West Indies cricket for the next three or four years. But what one thing that I've kind of looked at in terms of coming out of this Australia tour is how equipped are West Indies for the succession plan? That is a lot of batters to all be in and around the same age. When do we plan to feed younger players in to give them some experience? And the reason why I say that is if we don't start thinking about that, we may well reach a point in our test cricket where everybody leaves 
at around the same time. And if everyone leaves, generally speaking, around the same time, you suddenly will find yourself in a, in a position two to three to four years from now where you're having to find three or four players to come into the side all at the same time. We already missed a trick for this Australia tour. And let me explain. We knew going into this Australia tour that we were going to get two practice matches. Um, the game against, I think it was some new, new South Wales select side and then the Prime Minister's 11 side and then the two tests. Where was the foresight from West Indian selectors to take a couple of youngsters just to give them some experience? They were never meant to play. They would never have been playing in the test series, but that doesn't matter. Where was the foresight to think, we have you in our plans, come on tour to just be in and around it, to learn about going to Australia, to, to be around the test squad, because we have earmarked that you may well be one for the future, whether that be a Casey Carty, whether that be an Alec Athanase, for example, whether that be a Tevin Imlach. I think there are some question marks to be raised about planning ahead. And that's not just these selectors. I think most West Indian selectors haven't thought about planning ahead. This, this test side is going to reach the end of its cycle. Obviously, Phil Simmons has stepped away, but the new coach when he comes, this test side is going to re reach its end of its cycle in about two to three years. Now is when you start to succession plan. And with that in mind, West Indies travelled to Zimbabwe for, we still don't know the official dates, but we are supposed to be travelling to Zimbabwe end of January, start of February for a two-test match tour, allegedly. Now, I suspect that some of the current test squad won't be there because of T20 commitments, whether that be Jason Holder, whether that be Carl Mayers, whoever it might be, right? Now, if that ends up being the case, I don't want to see the West Indies just select a next set of experienced domestic pros. I'd like to see them coming out of Australia start to think about what, who do we earmark in the future to take a test place? And they should be given the opportunity to go to Zimbabwe. Because it can't just be about, yes, we've made some strides in the last two and a half years under Phil Simmons in test cricket, but it can't just be about this core of players only going forward. So I guess a big takeaway I have from this Australia tour is we missed an opportunity. We missed an opportunity to blood a few, few youngsters um, on this tour of Australia so that when we go to Australia in the future, obviously we go again in 2024, maybe that's a bit too soon, but arguably you could even say, knowing that we were going back to Australia in literally a year and a couple of months, should there have been some thoughts to let's take somebody who we might see in the test team going forward to experience Australian conditions? So going forward and learning from the Australian this Australia tour experience, I'd now like to see the West Indies selectors think about succession planning and not just not just pick a squad for the here and now, but also pick a squad for who do they think will ultimately be test players going forward. And I guess I kind of end with this point. In 2023, the West Indies will only be playing six test matches. Two, two, in Bangladesh, sorry, two in Zimbabwe, two in South Africa in March, and then two at home to India in June or July. I probably need to record a, a different episode just looking at how ridiculous that is. But, th but that's also about a wider issue about where the, where the world game of cricket is going. If people are going to naysay and do monger about West Indies cricket, 
then you also need to look at the fact that we have only got six test matches scheduled for next year. February, March, June. How can you build a philosophy? How can you build a team? How can you build a culture when we don't, where we rarely play the format anyway? I didn't say earlier on, but maybe I should actually end here. We went to Australia with four players only who had ever toured Australia before, right? But here's the one point I didn't mention. The last time we played test cricket prior to going to Australia was in July. And then we turn up in, in Australia in late November for a test series. So effectively, we went to Australia with a six-month gap between our last set of test matches. And then people want to turn around and go, why did the West Indies get turned over? The game is rigged. My name is Marshall St. Patrick here at one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. As ever, thank you for listening to the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, like, share, subscribe, comment, help us on the road to 4K. If you're listening via the podcast platform of your choosing, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, listen, listen notes, whatever it is that you listen to, hit us up, hit us up. Let us know, rate, rate. In fact, you can rate and review and like and all of that on the podcast platforms as well. More episodes will be coming. I've made a recent decision now that everything that we record on YouTube, I'm now going to probably drop as an audio podcast as well because I feel like the audio listeners are, are are missing out because we've put so much content on YouTube and not also on the audio podcast. So going forward and into 2023, you're going to start seeing loads more content now drop on the audio platforms alongside uh, the visual platforms so that everything is in sync. Thank you for listening. Keep safe, keep well. If we don't record another thing before Christmas, enjoy your Christmas. But you know me, people. There's always content coming. Thank you and good night. Network.